This is the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 8. Stephen has just been killed by the Jewish authorities to become the first Christian martyr, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part to share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his dependence? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with this very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on with rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, hey everybody, welcome, good to have you with us. You know, next week is the big week, Easter is the biggest weekend of the year for Christians, but you know, we celebrate the resurrection and new life every week around here, and if you're new, glad to have you, don't know if you have a church background or not, but what we've been doing is going through the book of Acts, which is the history book of the church's beginning, because we want to restore the kind of simplicity and unity, stripped down uh, of faith and practices of those first Christians. And you already heard in the reading there that there's some odd stuff in there, right? I mean, we're, we're hearing about miracles and prophecy and sorcery, and you're like, wow, that's the Bible writers really do put some strange things in there, stuff that doesn't happen every day, which is kind of the point, because we're, we're showing that God's got us here for a reason beyond just the normal daily routine, that we have a supernatural mission that we we carry out what Jesus did by the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is some supernatural stuff we got going on now. And up until this point in the early church, it was pretty much a Jewish movement. It was based there in Jerusalem. It's led by the, the apostles and being, trying to stamp it out by Jewish authorities. And if you missed any of those previous messages, you can watch them online or listen to the podcast. But Acts 8 now is the turning point where... The, the church finally moves beyond just being like a, a Jewish movement beyond the area of Jerusalem. And last week, we were introduced to this character named Saul, who participated in the murder of that first Christian martyr, Stephen. And it just fl flips a switch in Saul, and he becomes like the key persecutor of Christians from this point onward. He goes around locking them up and be having them beaten, and, and he's trying to destroy the church. And, and of course, if you know the story, Later on, Saul is going to have his own incredible turnaround. He'll become the, the great apostle Paul when he meets Jesus, and he becomes the, the missionary church planter to the Gentiles and the writer of so many New Testament scriptures. So everything from after chapter 9, Paul becomes the focus, and the Gentiles become the focus. So this is the real turning point. As we're ending with Acts 8 today, this is the last time we're going to be talking about Acts until next year. Because after Easter, we're going to be starting one of the letters written by Paul to a pretty messed up church, a bunch of dysfunctional, divided believers in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and how they dealt with a lot of the same kinds of problems and struggles that we do today, a lot of the same controversial subjects. So that's going to be a helpful series for us. But remember how the book of Acts started. Remember Jesus is going to send out his disciples into the world. He says in Acts 1.8, before he goes into heaven, he says, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now the Jesus movement finally gets out of Jerusalem into those areas of Judea and Samaria as all the Christians begin to scatter once Stephen is murdered. 
And so they thought they were stamping out Christianity by, by getting rid of the leaders, but in fact, it fanned the flames and it spread it further. That's what history shows us is when Christianity gets persecuted, it just makes it go all that much further, which shows that God can use some of the worst things in our lives to help bring others to faith in him. Look what it says in Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So it finally took a persecution to get them out of Jerusalem, like Jesus had told them all along, and go to all these other areas and all these other kinds of people, because he wants everyone to hear the good news and to be saved. Not just people who are near us and like us, which is what our big idea is about today, that we're to tell all kinds of people the good news about Jesus, all kinds. Now, I want you to notice that when all the Christians scatter, it's not the 12 apostles doing all the, the, the teaching and proclaiming and all that. The, the apostles actually are the guys who stay behind in Jerusalem courageously at the risk of their lives to help strengthen this young church. Who, who, who's going out? It's all the Christians. Everybody. We're never going to be able to reach all the world unless every one of us is out there letting all kinds of different people know. Because God wants us to get the message to people who are different than us who are not near us or, or not like us. And the guy that's singled out here in this passage is Philip. Philip was one of those servants that was chosen along with Stephen to take care of the widows, to make sure they're, they're being fed well. Well, he outgrows that job description pretty quickly, just like Stephen, and becomes a miracle-working evangelist. And that goes to show, too, that God can use you far beyond what you can ever imagine. Just because you have a certain job description right now in God's service, if you remain faithful and godly, he's going to use you in incredibly important ways that you never even thought of. So that's what happens with Philip. He travels northward, gets scattered into the area of Samaria, which is a pretty safe place to be, to escape to, because a good Orthodox Jew would never go into Samaria because they looked down on the Samaritans, kind of a, these godless people who had uh, given up their Jewish identity. They had uh, intermarried with all kinds of different people, and uh, they didn't keep their pure Jewish bloodline. And so uh, these were the kind of people you did not want to be around. They were different racially, culturally, religiously. And yet Jesus traveled through Samaria and was well received. And so Philip breaks out of his comfort zone, says, okay, I'll go into the same place. I'll follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And he travels to this very different place. And that, that's what we need to do today as well. Not be afraid to cross some boundaries and barriers and go to people who are of a different race, a different culture, a different religion. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs this good news. So Philip does that. He brings them this good news that Jesus has provided a cross that is now a bridge, a bridge to bring together these two very estranged groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans. And that bridge is going to extend even further to the Gentiles, those who have no Jewish blood at all. So this is an amazing thing to see God's plan unfolding here as these, these people that normally would have never gotten a chance to hear about Jesus uh, they're, they're, they're receiving him like crazy. There's like this big revival breaking out in Samaria. They're listening to Philip. They're accepting what he has to say. They're seeing him do these miracles of curing people who couldn't move, who couldn't walk, casting out demons. And his ministry revol results in this, Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So notice, as soon as they believe, they're baptized. And great joy... Uh, breaks out in that city because joy comes when 
people receive Jesus. Next, we see Philip not only go to these people who are different, but people who are not likely. He wants us to get the message to the most unlikely people. You know who I mean. The people are like the last you would ever imagine that would want to know Jesus, right? The people that we tend to avoid because like they don't they wouldn't want to hear what I have to say. Back in Jesus' day, who was that? Be, be like the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right? People you'd avoid. Today, who is it? Well, it might be hardened criminals and porn stars, drug addicts, atheistic uh, intellectuals, all the people you think, well, they, they wouldn't be interested. But they need Jesus too. I mean, who's going to tell them if we don't? Even the people who, are, who seem the most rebellious to God, the ones who make, who make fun of Christians and denounce them. Well, just like Saul, right? Persecuting Christians. That's the one that God used. These radical transformations and, and turnarounds. So a, a guy that was least likely to accept Jesus in Samaria was this guy named Simon because he was a very influential, revered, respected, feared man because he was able to perform magic. And I'm not talking like David Copperfield kind, Penn and Teller. I'm talking about sorcery, right? This kind of this witchcraft stuff. This is supernatural, paranormal kind of thing. And that's why they called him the divine great power. Because God warns us that real supernatural power can be involved when people get involved with occult practices, Right, like mediums who claim to be able to speak with the dead, or astrologers who use horoscopes, or um, psychics who claim to be able to predict the future, or have this knowledge that nobody should naturally be able to have. Now, most of those people who are doing that, they're doing it to make some money. They're, they're, they're con artists, they're frauds, they're phonies, their tricks have all been exposed. But there are some who apparently have some sort of supernatural power. Uh, whatever you want to call it, sorcery, witchcraft. You know, where do they get it? Well, they, they say it comes from God, and I'm going to use it for good. But no, no, Scripture says that's not from God. It's not divine. That's demonic. You, you've invited the demonic into your life. Now, so stay away from all of it. Stay away, because, look, you're either dealing with a fraud, a phony, or you're dealing with somebody who's messed up with the demonic, with, with, with things that um, take us outside of God himself and put our trust in other stuff. So we're supposed to stay away from fortune tellers and seances, tarot cards, Ouija boards, anything that invites the supernatural in like that. We're inviting the demonic in, so we stay away. And you say, oh, come on, You're, are you serious? In this day and age, you expect me to believe in that kind of nonsense? That's all just fantasy stuff. And sure enough, our entertainment is loaded with all kinds of occult and witchcraft stuff, right? Which I think is maybe one of Satan's tactics today. Is if he, he can get us to think, oh, that's all just fiction. Then we don't have to take any of it seriously. But I think back to the days of Moses. Remember when he went to Pharaoh's court? God gave him the ability to do all these miracles, like turning a staff into a serpent. Who did Pharaoh bring out? His magicians, the guys who could imitate those miracles. They were able to turn a staff into a serpent as well. They were able to do the same kinds of miracles as Moses. Now, of course, Moses' power was greater, right, because his serpent ate their serpent, and they weren't able to perform all of the same kinds of miracles and plagues that Moses did. God was greater. But still, there was a power there. And that's what's going on with Simon as he sees Philip doing these miracles. And he goes, I want that. That power is greater than what I've got. So he put his faith in Jesus, and he was baptized. Now, when the apostles back in Jerusalem hear about this great thing going on in Samaria, they send Peter and John up there 
in order to uh, give them these kinds of supernatural gifts, these miracle signs and wonders. Because Philip could do them, but he couldn't pass on the, that ability to others to do it. See, the, the Samaritans had the Holy Spirit because we all receive the Holy Spirit when we commit our lives to Christ and we're baptized. Okay? We have the gift of the Spirit, but we don't get those kinds of gifts of the Spirit, those supernatural signs, miracle signs and wonders. Only the apostles could pass those on, like they did with Philip. They lay hands on Philip and he gets them, but... They had to come up to Samaria to lay their hands on other people to get those kinds of gifts. And when Simon sees that ability to, to do those kinds of miracles, he wants it. And he's willing to pay for it because everything has a price, right? How much you want so I can have that kind of power too? But he, he finds out, you know what? You can't bargain with God. You can't barter with God over that stuff. The, these, these were, uh, in fact, people still think that you can buy off God in some ways. In fact, in the corrupt middle-aged church, when you know, the Catholic church in the Middle Ages went through this period where they were selling church offices, positions of power and privilege for money, guess what they ended up calling that practice? Simony, after this guy, Simon. In fact, they, they went on to sell these things called indulgences, which were like get out of jail free passes or really get out of purgatory free, this place of suffering you go to before you go to heaven, which by the way, isn't in the scripture. So that's a pretty nice little setup, isn't it? Let's make up a place where you suffer and then charge people to get out of it, right? So that's, that's what's going on here. And you can't haggle with God. You can't bribe God. We still try to do it today. Somebody will say, oh, God, if you let me get this job, this promotion, this raise, I'll put the extra money in the offering. Or if you get me out of this mess, Lord, I'll start serving in the church nursery. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not the way it works. Or uh, they, they listen to these TV preachers saying, send in $1,000 and God will give you a whole bunch of money back. No. Mm -mm. That ain't, you can't do that with God. No. And that's why Peter calls him out and he says, listen, Simon, you are a captive to sin. And he calls him to repentance. And Simon seems to want to get things right with God. He pleads for the apostles, please pray for me. But what happened to him? Did he repent? We don't know because he doesn't say. We hope so. But if the later traditions are to believe that he became a heretic and promoted false teachings. So we don't know with him. But what we do know is verse 25. After they, Peter and John, had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So I love that. Still, wherever they're going, they're spreading the message more and more to more people. And that's what we're called to do. And not only are they, they uh, getting the message to people that are the least likely, but we also need to get the message to the VIPs. Who are the VIPs today? Well, those would be like the rock stars and the rappers, the athletes and the actors, the politicians and the CEOs. I mean, yes, Jesus spent most of his time with what we'd say the lowly and the outcasts from society. But you know what? Rich and famous people need God, too. It's just I think they're harder to reach because of their position and their power and their wealth. But they need God just as much as anybody. And so God sends Philip, sends an angel. Tell him to go to this important government official. Send him along the road where he's riding along in a chariot. Which it doesn't make sense to me because such incredible, amazing things are going on in Samaria. Why would he take Philip out of that situation with all these people coming to faith in Christ and send him down the road to just one guy? But it goes to show that God cares as much about one person as a whole city, one person who's seeking the truth. He'll make sure they get the message. I believe that's true today. Anybody who wants the truth, God will get it to them. So this is not a coincidence that, that Philip happens along the road to this guy. It's, this is a divine appointment. You ever have one of those? 
You know I'm talking about a divine appointment where God sets up this meeting between you and somebody else. I mean, just at the right time, at the right place, somebody who needs to hear the good news about Jesus. Maybe he did that for you. Set up a divine appointment, brought somebody to you at just the right time in the right place so you could hear about Jesus. Maybe he's doing it right now. Maybe this is your divine appointment. And so I think we have to be sensitive to those moments, like Philip, to, to be open to God's leading, to go talk to somebody, to initiate a spiritual conversation right on the spot. I mean, now the best way to, to lead somebody to faith is to build a relationship with them so that they get to know you and like you and trust you. Then you can talk to them. But sometimes there's all those one shot only occasions like you're on a plane or a party or in a restaurant and you got to be open to like, God, I don't know, should, should I go for it? Should I, should I say something to him? You got to be ready to go. That, that may be the only chance you get to talk with that person. And we don't know much about this nameless Ethiopian official. I mean, we know he's from someplace south of Egypt, probably in what is modern-day Sudan in Africa, and that he was made a eunuch because probably he's, he's uh, uh, made an official in charge of the women of the palace, right? But now he's promoted to be the treasurer of the whole kingdom. And he's a religious man because he wants to worship the one true God so much he's willing to travel hundreds of miles to this Jewish feast up in Jerusalem and spend a lot of money to buy a scroll of the book of Isaiah. I mean, Bibles weren't cheap back then, right? It cost a lot of money to get a scroll like that. And so on his way back home, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53, which is one of the clearest prophecies in all the Old Testament about the Messiah. I mean, for us, looking back, we can cl clearly see Isaiah's writing 700 years before Jesus showed up. He's writing exactly what Jesus was going to be like. But the Ethiopian didn't understand that. He's reading about some guy who uh, was, was a suffering servant, rejected, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Who is this? I mean, even the Jewish scholars didn't recognize the Messiah in that prophecy because they were looking for a very majestic, triumphant kind of guy, not somebody who was despised and humiliated. And so that's why Philip needed to go up to him and say, hey, ask him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Which, by the way, is a great principle for how to share your faith. Ask questions. Ask questions. Don't assume you got to find out what they understand or what they don't understand. Because I'll tell you, a lot of times why people don't believe in Jesus or the scriptures is because they've never been told the real deal. All they've heard is distorted versions of it and passages taken out of context. And so you listen to them long enough and you can actually say, you know what? I, don't, I agree with you. I don't believe that either. But that's, that's not what the scriptures say. Would you like to know what they actually do say? And now you pique their curiosity, right? You're asking those questions. And... Philip got permission to, to, to share his faith because the, the official, the Ethiopian, humbly says, well, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? Now, listen, the Bible is, is understandable. Anybody can read it and understand it. It's, it's message, but there are parts of it, to be honest. I mean, it's not like this mystical book that only the initiated could get. It's, it's plain language, but there are parts that are deeply profound and we need somebody who's a little bit ahead of us to guide us, to explain the background and the context to us. And so Philip goes ahead and he starts to explain what this means. And notice another important principle here is he doesn't get sidetracked by a lot of side issues, less important things, veering off down these rabbit trails. He stays focused on the main message, which is what? Jesus. 
tells him about Jesus. Verses 35 and 36. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now I'm wondering, would you be able to do that right on the spot? If somebody asked you about your faith, would you be able to tell them what the good news is? Would you be able to tell them about this God who loves you so much that he gave his son to die in your place on the cross so your sins could be forgiven and paid for and he rose from the dead so that you could have life you would be resurrected you would know for sure that you're going to heaven not because you're you're trying your best to get there and you're just wishing that you're going to get there but because Jesus provided the only way for you and it's by grace not by your works if you'll confess Jesus as your Lord if you'll believe him would you be able to explain that now we'll see Ethiopian's response. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Which tells me that baptism is a really important part of telling somebody about Jesus, right? Because Jesus gave the great commission. He said, go tell all people the good news. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now we've already seen in Acts 2 what baptism means, that we're saved by grace through faith in baptism as the place or the occasion for receiving forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But listen, make no mistake. Baptism means nothing without faith. It's, you're just getting wet if you don't have faith. Faith gives it great meaning. And that faith gets expressed in the form of a confession. I believe. And that's why whenever somebody gets baptized around here, we have them confess their faith, typically in the words of Peter in Matthew 16, 16. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, there's a bit of a controversy in Acts 8, verse 37. If you look in your Bible, you see verse 37. Or actually, you won't because it's not there. If you look down the page, it's in the footnotes because we're not really sure if it's there. And here's what it says. The Ethiopian confesses his faith. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, why it's in a footnote is because we're not sure if it was in the original manuscript written by Luke. But that shouldn't trouble us at all because the beauty is we've got so many manuscripts to compare that whenever we come to one of those very rare places where we're not really sure if that verse is original or not, we can find out by just comparing them all and pointing out, hey, this is one of the places where we're not sure. And that's why they put it in a footnote. And frankly, it doesn't matter if it's original or not because it certainly fits in with the rest of Scripture. It's not like some weird, wild verse. It agrees with exactly what Paul says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All right, so it's perfectly consistent. So whether that verse is there or not, it, certainly the, the Ethiopian confessed his belief because the next thing you know, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, and here's why I want to stop and want you to notice a couple things about baptism. One, it's not something to be put off till later. It's not something to be saved up for a special day or place. It's not like the Ethiopian said, oh, baptism sounds great. Let's wait until we get to a church building because there wasn't any, right? And he didn't say, oh, I would love for all my family and friends to be there and we have this big public demonstration. Can we delay it a month? No, what's he say? Here's water. Let's go. I'm ready. 
No reason to wait at all. On the spot. That's the way we do it here. And I also want you to notice that baptizing was immersion, going down into water, coming up out of water. Same way with Jesus, goes out to the Jordan River, goes down in the water, comes up out of the water. And so it's really redundant when you hear somebody say, hey, have you been baptized by immersion? Because it's the exact same word in the Greek. Baptized means immerse. It's not sprinkling. It's not pouring. It's dunk, plunge, or submerge. Always. You say, well, what's the big deal? Who cares how you get baptized? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. If Jesus and Peter and Paul all say this is what you should do, then we should do it. Simple as that. No one has the right or authority to change what Scripture says. And when we get baptized, here's what's going on. There's some beautiful symbolism involved in it, too. There's, it pictures a bath, that we're, we're having our sins washed away. Hebrews 10.22 says this, having our what? Our hearts sprinkled. So there is sprinkling. It's just not with water. It's with the blood of Christ. His death gets applied to us. And what happens? It cleanses us from a guilty conscience. And at the same time, having our bodies washed with pure water. So inside and outside. I remember when I was a kid, I'd go playing outside with my buddies and we'd get all dirty. And that's when mom would come out on the porch and say, Brett, come inside. It's time for your bath. I'm like, come on, mom. Hated that. Because then all my buddies would make fun of me. Oh, say hi to Mr. Bubble for me. Remember Mr. Bubble, right? You know, the soap sucks. All right. So I'd go inside, and I tell you what, I didn't stand in the tub and just scoop up some water in my hands and throw it on my head. No, because that doesn't get a kid clean, right? You need a bath. And listen, we are filthy with sin. And the baptistry back there is just like a big old bathtub. And Jesus is like Mr. Bubble for the soul. (laughs) Only he can cleanse us thoroughly. And look, after you get baptized, you're not going to see at the bottom, because I've seen kids do this. They look for all the sins at the bottom of the, of the tub there. I'm like, there's not going to be any ring around the tub after you get, well, some of you might, but that's for different reasons. No, no, it's not, it's not, look, Peter says, when you get baptized, it's not that your dirt's being washed off of your body, it's that you're receiving a clean conscience. Wouldn't you love to have a clean conscience before God? All right, so it's like a bath, but it's more than that. It's also like a death. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, lowered into a tomb, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, faith in baptism, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So dead to yourself, dead to your sin, dead to your past, raised up a new person, a new life. Don't miss out on the symbolism and the meaning of that. Because, yes, it's very simple and it's very quick, but it's profoundly meaningful. And that's why that's the way we do it here. So have you experienced that for yourself? If you've never made that decision for yourself today, let's do this. Let's go for it. Let's just let's let's take care of it today. If you've not made the decision to follow Christ before, it's not by coincidence or chance that you're here. This is your divine appointment. God brought you here so that you can know that he loves you. He made a way for you to be made right with him. You can have your sins forgiven. You can know that you're going to heaven. It's not by your efforts or works or knowledge. It's by his grace. And all you got to do is receive it. And maybe you came here today saying, well, that sounds good, but I, I didn't come ready to get dunked. That's okay. Neither did the Ethiopian. So what? We're ready for you. You're not ready, but we are. We got towels and robes and clothes and hair dryers, whatever you need. 
No reason to wait for another day. And listen, I don't know how you're going to feel when you come out of the water, other than soaking wet and probably a little chilly. Doesn't matter what you feel. If you get shivers down your spine, goosebumps, and all tingly, it's not about the feelings. It's about knowing for sure that you have done what God has asked you to do. Knowing that your conscience is clean and going on your way rejoicing like the Ethiopian because you know that your sins are forgiven, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have the hope of heaven. Sound good? Now, some of you, maybe you have been a believer for many years, and, but you were sprinkled as a baby. And I, I urge you, challenge you, encourage you, make it your own decision today to do what you know Jesus did, what Paul did, what Peter did, what they tell us to do. Why not do that today and just confess your faith again and say, God, I want to be sure. Do for me whatever you have yet to do for me as I submit to you in baptism. Why wouldn't you want to experience that? Now, to finish this chapter, Philip gets zapped out of there. God takes him to some more cities to tell more people about Jesus. Apparently, he needed him there quick because there were other people seeking the truth. And my question for you is, where is God calling you to go? Where is he sending you? Who are you going to lead to faith in Jesus? I hope that as you go, that there will be a lot of rejoicing in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in all of Downriver, as we tell all kinds of people the good news about Jesus. Let's pray about that. You can pray it with me in your own words and say, Lord, uh, I want to pray for the people that I know and people I love, and that you would help me to reach out to them and, and give me some opportunities to invite people here, especially for Easter next week. Go ahead, just pray for some people by name. Who's God laying on your heart? And then, Father, also send me to other people too, not just the ones I know and love, not just the ones who are near me or like me, but set up some divine appointments. Give me the eyes to see beyond the exteriors that people put up that make me think that they don't want to hear the good news, they, they couldn't possibly be interested in Jesus. Help me to see beyond that into their true needs and hurts and disappointments and regrets and uh, their spiritual hunger, Lord, and offer them the good news. And show me how to be bold and unafraid to cross some barriers and some borders and boundaries and just walk across a room and start up a spiritual conversation to, to chase down some chariots and invite people to know you. Because I'm praying that in Jesus' name. Amen.